Welcome to the Trip Hacks DC podcast. Discover the best tips, tricks, and travel hacks for your visit to the nation's capital. And now, here's Rob. Hello, and thank you for tuning in. If you want to check out any show notes from this episode, listen to other episodes, or learn about TripHax DC guided tours, you can do all of that over at TripHacksDC.com. If you're new to this podcast, or TripHax DC in general, hello, my name is Rob. I'm a tour guide and the founder of TripHax DC. My mission is to give you my best tips, tricks, and travel hacks so you can have the best possible trip when you come and visit Washington, D.C. I'm launching this episode on May 1st. And if you're listening to it on or around launch date, then you know that summer is right around the corner. In this episode, I want to do a deep dive on everything you need to know if you're going to visit over the summer. Everything from what to expect in terms of crowds, weather, and what special events, concerts, and festivals you might be interested in checking out. Washington, D.C. tourism is seasonal. And aside from a huge burst in the spring around the cherry blossom bloom, Summer is the busiest season, so while it's important to be prepared no matter when you're planning to come, it's especially important in the summer. But before we get into all of that, let's define what I mean by summer. To me, summer is defined as the time between two holidays, Memorial Day, which is the last Monday in May, and Labor Day, which is the first Monday in September. Everything I'm going to talk about in this episode will happen between Memorial Day weekend and Labor Day weekend. Let's start by setting some expectations. Summer in D.C. is generally hot and crowded. By some metrics, it's the least pleasant season, but it's also when the most amount of stuff is happening in town. So by other metrics, it's the most exciting season. How crowded it is in Washington, D.C. correlates heavily with school break. Basically, you can expect the heaviest crowds here whenever kids are on break from school. That generally means spring break, which schools take in either March or April, and summer break. There are sometimes small bumps for Christmas break and fall break, but the summer break is the big one. One thing I have learned from doing this for a while now is that school breaks are actually quite staggered. Some schools end their academic year in early May and go back in early August. Others don't end until June, but also don't go back until September. What that means is that there's only a single month, July, when pretty much every kid in America is on break from school. And therefore, July tends to be an extremely busy and crowded month in D.C. On the topic of crowds, I do want to give some warning that if you're planning to visit this summer in 2023, please plan ahead. Find out what you need tickets or reservations for, and get those reservations as early as possible. At the time I'm recording this, the list includes the Air and Space Museum, African American History and Culture Museum, Washington Monument, Library of Congress, a Capitol Tour, White House Tour, National Zoo, and Ford's Theater, potentially among others. The Air and Space Museum is the one that's tripping the most people up since it only started requiring timed tickets since it reopened last October. So my advice for this summer, and frankly any time in the future, is to check every single attraction you want to visit and see if it's a ticket required or an open admission. TripHax DC tours are also now open for summer bookings, and if summer is anything like spring, which I am expecting it will be, 
then every tour on the calendar will probably get booked up. So if this is something you want to do, please get those bookings in as early as you can. Because it pains me when folks wait too long and then everything is sold out. Now, let's talk about the weather. If you visit D.C. in summer, you have to expect it will be extremely hot, extremely humid, and always with a chance of a downpour or a thunderstorm. If I'm being completely honest, July is actually one of my least favorite months in D.C., strictly because of the weather. Even though it's a busy month for TripHex DC tours, the weather can be rough. So that's July. But what about the weather in June or August? It is possible to have a nice day or even a set of consecutive nice days in June or August. But in July, it's pretty much guaranteed to be hot, humid, and miserable every day. Sometimes you can get lucky in June or August. But that said, just because you can get lucky doesn't mean you will and doesn't mean you should plan on it. If you're visiting in any of the summer months, I think you will have to plan for, pack for, and dress for the hottest possible weather. It's also important to prepare for the possibility of storms. Back in episode 12 of this podcast, I interviewed a meteorologist, and I asked him, why is Seattle considered the rainiest city in America when we regularly get twice as much annual precipitation? And he explained that in Seattle, there are extended periods of rain, but the rain itself is relatively light. Whereas here, when it rains, it pours. I carry an umbrella with me every day, 365 days per year, and I have never regretted that. But sometimes the summer storms are so intense that an umbrella is useless. You have to seek cover and wait it out. The good news is that even when it storms in the summer, it's usually a fast-moving storm, so even if it's disruptive, it usually doesn't last too long. One important thing I do want to say, that if there's a thunderstorm, the worst thing that you can do is try to get out of the rain by hiding under a big tree. I'm not going to go into details, but just last summer, there was a lightning strike on a tree right next to the White House that killed three people and severely injured a fourth. Because it happened right next to the White House, this made national news. But lightning strikes happen elsewhere rarely make the national news, but they're just as dangerous. So if there's a storm brewing, you want to get inside the closest real building. And it's not just thunderstorms and lightning. Two summers ago, there was a tornado in Washington, D.C. that came right down Constitution Avenue, just to the north of the Lincoln Memorial. Fortunately, no one was hurt in that one, but it did cause some damage in the area. It knocked down some trees and large branches. So all of this is to say that summer weather in D.C. is intense in a lot of different ways. Most storms hit in the late afternoon or early evening, but that's not guaranteed. Storms can and do hit at just about any time of day. So come prepared and don't mess around if there's a severe weather warning. Okay, so that's enough about the not-so-great things about summer in D.C. The flip side to all of this is that summer has the most things to do, whether that's concerts, parades, festivals, sports, or other summer fun that you just won't find during the other seasons. One of the great things about Washington, D.C., whether it's living here or visiting, is the plethora of free things to do. And yes, that includes many museums, monuments, and federal government sites, 
but just about all of the summer activities I'm going to talk about in this episode are free too. Let's start with the concerts. Three times each summer, they set up a big stage on the west side of the Capitol for three highly produced concerts. There's the National Memorial Day concert, a Capitol Fourth, and the Labor Day Capitol concert. The first two are televised on PBS, so you may have seen one or both of them before. I believe the Labor Day concert is live-streamed, but I don't think it's televised on regular TV. These concerts have very different vibes, and I don't think people who attend always know what to expect. The Memorial Day concert is held on the Sunday night before Memorial Day. It's hosted by Joe Montaigne and Gary Sinise, and it is very, very heavy on military appreciation, sacrifice, and similar themes. The music is a mix of military bands, like the Army and Air Force bands, as well as country performers, and usually someone from a show like American Idol, who you would know if you watch those kind of shows, but might not if you don't. A Capital Fourth happens on the 4th of July. It's kind of cool, because the concert and the fireworks on the National Mall are integrated, so if you attend the concert, you also get to see the fireworks set to music. This concert has recently been hosted by John Stamos, and a lot of performers are from around the same era when he was in his prime, if not even earlier. They also have the National Symphony Orchestra and military bands performing a lot of John Philip Sousa's best-known patriotic marches. Since I'm a bit of a sucker for a good Sousa march at this time of year, I kind of like this concert. Though others might say it's cheesy, and I appreciate that too. The concert starts at 8 o'clock sharp, goes for about an hour, and then a little after 9 o'clock, there's a rendition of the 1812 Overture by the National Symphony Orchestra, complete with a cannon fire, and then fireworks on the other end of the National Mall begin. If you've ever watched the 4th of July fireworks on PBS at home, you've heard the music they play during the show. If you're going to be in D.C. for the 4th and have never done this before, I think it can be a fun and memorable experience, even if it's not something I do every year. And the last Capitol concert is the Sunday before Labor Day. This one is actually specifically a National Symphony Orchestra concert, usually with a few special guests performing various pop songs. This one is probably the least well-attended of the three, and like I said, I don't think it's televised, so it's not one that many people even know about, but it's actually my personal favorite. Honestly, the music is just more to my personal taste than the other two. A bit of a hack for all three of these is that in addition to the main concert, they all have a full dress rehearsal the day before that's free and open to the public. These dress rehearsals are usually not very well advertised, so they tend to have slightly smaller crowds, and you can sometimes get a closer view and not have to arrive as early. The way I usually get information about these dress rehearsals is from the U.S. Capitol Police website. There's a section on there for press releases, and they usually have a press release detailing all of this information. Practically speaking, if you're going to go, know that there is a big list of prohibited items that you can't bring onto Capitol grounds. So make sure to check that list so you don't arrive with something you're not supposed to have. There is security, including metal detectors that you'll have to pass through to get onto the West Lawn. There are street closures and parking restrictions, so the best way to go is either on foot or by metro. Or, if all else fails, you can take a taxi or an Uber as close as you can get and walk from there. Also be aware that each concert has a severe weather plan. For a Capital Fourth, 
If there's severe weather on the 4th of July, the concert and fireworks will happen instead on July 5th. For the Labor Day concert, if there's severe weather, they move the concert indoors to the Kennedy Center instead. And for the Memorial Day concert, I believe they still have the concert with no crowd and broadcast it on TV. In fact, this actually happened to me one year when I went to the Memorial Day concert and they dispersed the crowd because of severe weather in the area. So when I got home, I turned on the TV and sure enough, they were still showing the live concert. But what if you're not going to be here for any of the three big summer holidays? Well, don't worry because there are other concert opportunities throughout the summer. DC Jazz Fest is a big jazz festival held throughout the city. In the past, it was called the Duke Ellington Jazz Festival and ran for about two weeks in June. Unfortunately, since COVID, it's been scaled back quite a bit. In 2023, it's going to be August 30th through September 2nd at more than 30 venues across the city. But the main acts will be at the wharf over Labor Day weekend. Will this ever go back to being a two-week-long festival in June? I have no idea. I am happy that it wasn't a complete COVID casualty, but it's hard to predict the future. That said, if you really want to hear jazz music, Jazz in the Garden is back on Friday evenings at the National Gallery of Art Sculpture Garden. In 2023, the first concert will happen on May 19th and the final concert on August 4th and every Friday in between. This has always been one of the more popular summer things to do and an experience worth having if you're at all into jazz. Now, unfortunately, Jazz in the Garden had been growing in popularity for years, and there just isn't that much space at the Sculpture Garden. So, for 2023, they've instituted a free lottery system that you have to enter if you want to attend. I don't personally love this, because it makes it hard to plan a trip if you have to enter a lottery and won't find out until a week in advance whether you've got tickets or not. But it's what we've got, so if you do want to go to Jazz in the Garden, check it out this year and make sure to enter the lottery. And if you're listening to this episode at some point in the future, make sure to check whether they still have that lottery system or some other ticketing system in place. A few miles away at the Yards Park, the Friday night concert series is a really fun and free outdoor thing to do. Unfortunately, at the time I'm recording this, they still haven't announced dates for this year's concerts, so I can't say for certain that they're definitely happening. But last year, in 2022, they hosted a total of eight concerts in June and July on Friday nights. If you do plan on coming down for a concert, I highly recommend checking out one of the restaurants in the area. There are quite a few very good places to eat around there now. And if nothing else, at least stop at Ice Cream Jubilee and treat yourself to some of my favorite ice cream. All right, we've covered a lot so far, and I still have a lot more summer fun to tell you about, but let's take a quick break before we get back to it. If you're listening to this podcast, my hunch is that you're probably planning an upcoming trip to Washington, D.C., or at least dreaming about a future adventure. One thing I've learned from meeting thousands of travelers and doing a bit of traveling myself over the years is that experiences are usually the best memories from a trip. That's why I started Trip Hacks DC. I didn't just want to create content to help you plan a trip, but also to provide an amazing experience once you arrive. 
And I think it's worked because people tell me all the time that their Trip Hex DC tour was the highlight of their trip. And that really makes me happy. So if that's something that sounds up your alley, you can head over to TripHexDC.com to learn about taking a private tour with me or a public group tour with one of the amazing DC tour guides. And we're back. Now these next two things I want to tell you about are two of the more unique things that you can do in D.C. and that you can only do during the summer. And those are the Marine Corps parades. Even though they're called parades, these are not like the big holiday parades you're probably thinking of. The Sunset Parade is held on Tuesday evenings. The parade is a tribute to the service and sacrifices of the U.S. Marines and features performances by the Marine Drum and Bugle Corps, the Silent Drill Platoon, and various Marine Corps color guards. It's been happening in its current form more or less since the 1950s, when the Marine Corps Memorial, or the Iwo Jima Memorial as it's often called, debuted. For most of its history, the Sunset Parade was held at the Iwo Jima Memorial, but in 2018 and 2019, they moved it to the Lincoln Memorial while the Iwo Jima was under construction. It seems like people really liked that new location, and attendance was way up since it was frankly just a more convenient and iconic spot. These took an unfortunate multi-year pause during COVID, but now in 2023, they're back and they're splitting the location. So the first four parades will be at the Iwo Jima, and then the second four will be at the Lincoln Memorial. These are on Tuesday evenings, and in 2023, will run June 6th through August 1st. The other Marine Parade that happens in the summer is the Friday Evening Parade, which is held at Marine Barracks, Washington, on 8th Street Southeast in the Capitol Hill neighborhood. This is considered to be one of the most iconic military ceremonies in the country. The parade features the President's Own, United States Marine Band, the Silent Drill Platoon, and the Marine Corps Color Guard, among others. The Silent Drill Platoon is usually the highlight of the parade, where they perform intricate rifle drills without any verbal commands. And I will admit, if you've never seen this before, it is extremely impressive. I've been lucky enough to see this a few different times. The Friday Night Parade has about twice as many performances as the Tuesday Sunset Parade. In 2023, it will run from May 5th through August 25th. This one does require reservations, so make sure to get those in advance if you want to go. Both parades are free, but the Marine Barracks has less space than the Iwo Jima and Lincoln Memorial, so reservations are necessary. Now, I know some people are much more into military pageantry than others, and these Marine Parades might not be for you, and that's okay. But I mention them because they are two things that are very unique to D.C. and that you can only experience in the summer. So to me, I couldn't make an episode about summer in D.C. without including them. Let's switch gears a bit and talk about summer festivals, starting with my personal favorite, the Smithsonian Folklife Festival. The purpose of the Folklife Festival is to celebrate cultural diversity and heritage from people all around the world. Aside from a few lost years during COVID, the Folklife Festival typically takes place over two weekends at the end of June and beginning of July, and features live music, dance performances, craft demonstrations, and food from the highlighted cultures. It's organized by the Smithsonian Institution's Center for Folklife and Cultural Heritage and is free to attend. 
In 2023, the festival dates are June 29th through July 4th and July 6th through July 9th. And the cultures being celebrated are domestic. The two programs this year are called Creative Encounters, Living Religions in the U.S., and The Ozarks, Faces and Facets of a Region. I really don't know much about either of these topics, so I will be interested to go and learn. One of my personal favorite things about the Folklife Festival is the food. Last year, for example, the two themes were Earth Optimism and the United Arab Emirates. And admittedly, I'd never really had Emirati food, so that was pretty cool and a new thing to experience. I'm not really sure what to expect this year, but they usually do a good job highlighting unique aspects of the themes and cultures. If you're visiting in June, then you should know that the month of June is internationally recognized as Pride Month. This year's Capital Pride Parade is scheduled for June 10th, and the route is north of the National Mall near the DuPont Circle area. DuPont Circle is one of my recommended areas to stay, so if you're interested in partaking in Pride, that could be a great option. Or, if you're not as interested in the celebrations or want to avoid the hustle and bustle of the events, you may opt to stay in one of my other recommended areas. In addition to the parade, there are a variety of other events and activities that take place throughout Pride Month. These include dance parties, art exhibitions, film screenings, educational panels, and community outreach programs. Many local businesses and organizations also participate in Pride Month celebrations by decorating their storefronts and hosting special events. The day after the parade is the Pride Festival. The festival features live music, food, and exhibits representing a variety of organizations and businesses from the LGBTQ community. Also worth noting is that June now has a federal holiday, Juneteenth. This is the newest federal holiday, and 2023 will be only the third year it's recognized as a federal holiday. So we're still kind of figuring out what this is going to be in D.C. Now, I am somewhat embarrassed to admit that I never really knew about Juneteenth until recently. Back before COVID, one of my tour guests told me about it, but she described Juneteenth as a Texas holiday, so I always kind of assumed it was just a Texas thing. Then, with everything that happened in 2020, it quickly grew and became more than just a Texas thing. Juneteenth is celebrated annually on June 19th. It's also called Freedom Day, Jubilee Day, or Emancipation Day. Juneteenth is a combination of the words June and 19th, and it marks the day in 1865 when Army General Gordon Granger arrived in Galveston, Texas to announce to enslaved African Americans that they were free. The announcement came more than two years after Abraham Lincoln issued the Emancipation Proclamation. As far as the impact on D.C. tourism, my hunch is that in years when Juneteenth falls on a Friday, a weekend, or a Monday, we may have an uptake of people taking advantage of the days off to come in for a weekend trip. In a year when it falls on a Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday, I don't think it will have a big impact on tourism. However, one thing I often say is that hotel rates in D.C. are driven heavily by business and conference travel, and conference organizers typically don't want their conference or event to bump up against a holiday. So it's possible you might be able to find some really good hotel rates if you travel around Juneteenth. After Juneteenth is the granddaddy of holidays in D.C., the 4th of July. I'm not going to go in-depth on the 4th of July in this episode because I've covered it a few times before. Episode 38 was my deep dive into 
all things to see and do in D.C. for the holiday. And in episode 30, my guest talked about his own experience visiting with his family over the 4th of July. Sometimes you will hear locals talk about how they always go out of town for the 4th because they hate the crowds, the heat, and everything happening in D.C. I disagree strongly with these people. I think D.C. is great on the 4th of July. I don't do every 4th of July activity every single year, but it's a good energy and good vibes, and I think if you have the opportunity to do it once, you should do it at least once. But that's all I'm going to say about the 4th of July, because you can listen to episode 38 or 30 for more details about it. We've covered June. We've covered July. So what about August? August is actually a really interesting month. Compared to June and July, it has much slower, much more chill vibes. And there are a few different reasons for that. A lot of schools go back relatively early, some as early as the first week in August. And like I said earlier, the busiest months for tourism in D.C. are when kids are on break from school. Since a lot of kids are going back in August, there tends to be fewer family trips. Locally, a lot of schools around here go back later in August or even in early September. So a lot of D.C. locals take their own family vacations in August. Congress typically takes an August recess, and business travel here is to a minimum. So if you visit in August, you'll probably find that, yeah, it's hot and it's humid, but the crowds really aren't that bad, and hotel rates might even be surprisingly low. You'll have more space to spread out in the museums. You'll have a better chance of getting a reservation to tour the White House or to go to the top of the Washington Monument or anything else that has a limited capacity. The disadvantage is that you really won't find many special events or festivals happening in August. But to round out the topic of festivals, I do want to briefly mention the Library of Congress Book Festival, which historically is held in September. Recently, the first weekend in September, which still technically falls in my summer window. If you're into books, reading, authors, libraries, or anything else related to that, the National Book Festival is a really cool and unique event. It is one of the largest book festivals in the world and is free to the public. At its peak, this festival attracted hundreds of thousands of visitors. The festival typically features over 100 authors, illustrators, and poets who participate in readings, book signings, panel discussions, and other events. The authors represent a wide variety of genres, including fiction, nonfiction, history, science, children's literature. In the early days, this festival was held outdoors at the Library of Congress. As it grew, they moved it to the National Mall, and now it's held indoors at the Washington Convention Center, which is probably for the best, as we've established that summer weather can be pretty dicey. So those are a few of the big national festivals that you can check out in the summer but they are hardly the only events happening. One thing I've never really done with Trip Hacks DC is to produce any kind of things to do this weekend or things to do this month content. And the reason is because it is an absolute bear to keep on top of that kind of stuff. And I'm already far too busy making tourist content and running a tour company and the many other things that I have going on. I'm not really a good source on smaller events but I have noticed an absolute plethora of things to do in DC content popping up recently on TikTok. So that's probably the best place to go, at least at the moment, for stuff that's not on my radar. That said, a lot of those accounts are really geared towards locals 
who are looking for very unique things to do. I think if you're visiting from out of town, it can be a bit of a trap to focus on stuff like that, as you get a better return on your time focusing on the big events, especially if you've never done them before. Now, one of my personal favorite things to do in the summer is go and watch professional sports. Washington, D.C. is a professional sports town. Probably the biggest summer sport is baseball. The Washington Nationals are the local Major League Baseball team. They are my personal favorite team. They won the World Series in 2019. And I think it is a tragedy that COVID happened immediately after that and that the team and the fans never really got to have a celebratory season. But that complaint aside, baseball is a great sport for visitors because there are a lot of games, tickets are relatively inexpensive, and it's always fun to experience a new ballpark. Nationals Park may not be beloved like some Major League Parks are, but I think it's quite nice. It's also extremely easy to get to. The center field gate is barely a block from the Navy Yard Metro Station. In my opinion, if you're a baseball fan and have a chance to see a Nationals game in the summer, take the opportunity. Summer is also soccer season, and we have two professional soccer teams, DC United of the MLS and the Washington Spirit of the NWSL. Both teams now play at Audi Field, which is a new soccer-specific stadium located just across the way from Nationals Park. It's a little farther walk from the Metro, but not too bad. I never really grew up as a soccer fan, so I've only recently been getting into it, but soccer games are fun. If you've never seen a professional soccer game, either United or Spirit are great fan experiences. If you like basketball, summer is the WNBA season, and our WNBA team is the Washington Mystics. They play at the Entertainment and Sports Arena, which is a little outside of the usual tourist core, but you can take the Green Line Metro to get there, or an Uber or taxi. The Mystics won their first WNBA championship in 2019, the same year that the Nationals won the World Series, and in the same way, they got cheated out of a celebratory season in 2020. Entertainment and Sports Arena is a fantastic venue, and has a capacity of only 4,200, so every seat in the arena feels like you're right in the action. It's a different experience than what you would get at, say, Capital One Arena, where if you're sitting up in the rafters, you feel like you're a mile away from the game. Now, probably my favorite obscure sport is Professional Ultimate Frisbee. We have a team in the American Ultimate Disc League, the DC Breeze. I was actually turned on to this team by my friend Brad, who was a guest way back in episode 10 of this podcast. Ultimate Frisbee is actually an excellent spectator sport because it's a really fast-paced game. Even if you've never played it before, the game is simple and the rules are simple and it's really easy to figure out and enjoy. And if you watch YouTube, you might know Marquez Brownlee, or MKBHD, is a professional Ultimate Frisbee player and he's on the New York Empire. I've actually gotten to see him play live before and he's really good. The DC Breeze plays up at Catholic University, which is also outside of the usual tourist core, but you can get there on the red line fairly easily. Another really fun summer sport is tennis, and here in DC, we have the City Open, which is part of the ATP World Tour 500 series. It is one of the longest-running professional tennis tournaments in the U.S. and is held annually in late July or early August at the William Fitzgerald Tennis Center in Rock Creek Park. 
The tournament features both men's and women's singles and doubles, as well as mixed doubles. It's not quite the caliber of the U.S. Open, which happens about a month later in New York City, but it has historically brought some pretty famous tennis players to D.C., and the quality of play, at least in my opinion, is top-notch. Okay, I feel like we've covered a lot, but there are a few more things I want to mention before I wrap up. One of the most summer things that I think you can do is to go on some kind of boat and float around on some water. That could be anything from the paddle boats on the Tidal Basin, a kayak on the Potomac River, the water taxi to Alexandria, or any of the many river cruises that you can choose from. There are river cruises that are meant for sightseeing. Some are basically just floating bars. A few years back, there were a couple of guys who tried to take the pedal pub concept that you might have seen in some destinations, and instead of putting it on the street, put it on the water. There are 100% electric Scandinavian-designed picnic boats that you can rent and float around with some friends. These aren't necessarily things I do on a regular basis, but people sometimes ask me for ideas for things to do that aren't just the standard monuments and museums and federal government sites, and I think there are a lot of potentially unique things like this that you can really only do during the summer. One last thing that you can really only do in the summer are outdoor movie nights. These have been around for a while, and the locations seem to change every year, but basically, different neighborhoods host outdoor movie series where you can come and sit on a blanket, on some grass, with some snacks, and watch a movie on a big inflatable screen for free. The schedules typically get announced at some point in May, so I'm recording this a little too early to know exactly what's playing and where in 2023. But generally speaking, each neighborhood chooses a theme for its movie series. The theme could be classics, or spy movies, or space movies, or whatever. These are not going to be new releases. The point of these movie nights is to give people a chance to come out and do something fun in a neighborhood. Sometimes you can even find some really unique movies. I still think about a documentary I saw probably a decade ago that I thought was great, but I've never been able to find a copy of it since, and it kind of haunts me, to be honest. But it was a fun time and a great memory regardless. And with that, I'm going to go ahead and close out this episode. If you're still listening, thank you for sticking around till the end. If you're planning on visiting this summer in 2023, make sure to get those bookings and reservations settled as soon as you can. Trip Hacks DC tours are already selling, and I expect summer tours to completely sell out like they did in the spring. So don't wait too long, because I hate for people to miss out. Before I go, I want to sincerely thank you for listening. Trip Hacks DC is a tour company, and I love showing people around when they visit. But I am able to produce this podcast, the Trip Hacks DC YouTube channel, and all Trip Hacks DC content completely free and ad-free because of everyone who signs up for a tour. So if you have or are planning to, then you're absolutely my favorite people. And if you want to find out more, just head on over to the website and check it out. Thanks for listening to the Trip Hacks DC podcast. To see the show notes from today's episode, get additional resources for planning your trip, or to book a Trip Hacks DC guided tour, visit triphacksdc.com.